want to welcome you back this evening and appreciate your attendance, especially on Father's Day. Uh, someone asked me, uh, uh, where can I get one of those uh, cards you handed out this morning? I said, uh, sorry, those have all been, uh, you know, called back in, and uh, I won't tell you who called them back in or where they are now, <coughs> preacher's office. Uh, but yeah, if you were a father, if you if you were a father, if you are a father and you were here this morning and you would like one didn't get one, we I can uh, I can connect you. I might know a guy or two. Sunday nights at Northside we are talking about the book of Luke, which is a textual series. We we take it a little lower and a little slower, which is great for barbecue and not too bad for preaching either. Uh, we are, are taking it through the year and, and really focusing on Luke's perspective of Jesus, this unusually strange rabbi. Uh, he was, he was, there were other rabbis, but he was unlike any other rabbi. There were other teachers, but he taught in a way that was very different. There were other impactful religious leaders, but none spoke. None made the impact that Jesus did, and, and Luke, great the good physician, uh, made his uh, analysis and his orderly account as he presented it to Theophilus, and that's where we are in Sunday night. So, if you have any interest in following along, and I hope that you do, uh, you'll turn to Luke chapter 9, we'll be in Luke chapter 9 this evening. Jesus, as we watch him, his maturity, his his growth, his... Uh, ministry take on a life of his own has now is now really stepping into the high point. He went from a, an obscure carpenter, for, from a, a small unknown, not unknown, but but basically an obscure town with with no one of really a, of note that had been from there, and and he rises to the level of not just popular Jewish rabbi, but but really someone that the, the crowds begin to rally around in, in just a matter of two years. In, in today's speak, Jesus had begun to go viral. People were catching on. People were seeing the miracles. People were hearing, uh, if they didn't see the miracles themselves, they were hearing accounts of the miracles, and that was drawing more people. The, the crowd was drawing a crowd. People went there maybe out of anger, maybe trying to seek, you know, uh, look at the heresy that they thought Jesus was teaching, but sometimes just out of mere curiosity, no doubt. This crowd is gathering, and, and as we begin our lesson tonight, I, I want to talk a little bit about the crowd, because a crowd can change a person. A crowd can affect, especially those whom the crowd is gathered around. A crowd can become an idol. A, a crowd can distract you from your message. A crowd can get you off of your mission. And we've seen that with politicians, and you know they start out, Maybe in a small town from nowhere, they, they, they get elected to a local office, they do a little good, and they get known, and, they, and the more people get behind him or her, and they, they go on to state office and maybe, maybe up at the national level. And with each rise in their platform, you, the people who were there from the beginning notice, eh, you know, they're, not really, they're not really holding to the promises that they made early on. 
Their message has changed. It's surrounded by more people now, and, and they've kind of watered it down. But with Jesus, we see an interesting example of a man who wasn't affected and changed by the crowd, regardless of the size. If he was one-on-one with Peter or, or the other apostles, or that he was just with a small group teaching in a synagogue, or that he was teaching, as we'll look at tonight, a massive crowd of people, Jesus continued to have, this, continued to have the same impact on human beings. Now, maybe you've experienced this, the, the, the crowd, the siren song that the crowd sings. It can cause you to compromise your values. It can cause you to maybe talk a little bit less about the things that you adamantly believe. At its worst, it can change who you are. And that's where the crowd becomes poisonous. Tonight, we're going to look at Jesus and the crowd the impact that he made, and uh, maybe some lessons for us as well. So tonight, as we look at uh, Jesus and the crowd, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, and uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 10. This would be a good point to advance the slide if you're inclined. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Um, Now, just to catch you up, if you haven't been here for the previous lessons, Jesus has now taken ministry, the things that he's been doing, and he's sent out the apostles. We remember the apostle means one sent. And so he he was not, he understood the mission, this is weird to say, but the, the, the mission was bigger than him, that there were things that had to get done even after his death and resurrection. And so... These 12 that had surrounded him had a job, had a mission that Jesus had them to go on. And and the beginning of chapter 9, which uh, a couple of uh, lessons ago we learned about, uh, they began to do the things which Jesus had done himself. And now they were getting to do that uh, for themselves. And so no doubt there was a time of story swapping and you'll never believe this. We did this. I couldn't believe that. And, you know, how we were treated here and and uh, what these people did for us here and they were more receptive and they were less receptive and, and all of that. So, unfortunately, Luke doesn't give those details about the discussions, uh, and but no doubt the discussions were good and productive and they learned a lot about the mission that they would be on uh, later in the book of Acts. Verse 11, when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now, the day came, I'm sorry, the day began to wear away. And the twelve came and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside and to find lodging, get provision, for we, uh, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves, two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about, Luke just includes a small detail, for there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves 
and he gave them to the disciples except for the crowd. All and, and, and they all ate and they were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened, just as that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they, they answered, well, John the Baptist. But others say Elijah. And others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ, God. He strictly charged them and commanded them to tell no one, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. It's a lot there, and usually... uh, a lot that we don't lump all together. But, but in, in, in this series, we're, we're really trying to take a, a, a bigger picture look at some of these texts so that we understand why would, why would it be that Luke would tell this and then this and then this? Why would he connect this story to that story to this incident? There's a purpose. We understand that, that, that when Luke sat down to make an account, and, and, you know, much like you might do if you were to make an account of your family history or the history of Northside or the history of, of, uh, of your own life, a biographical account, you'd probably sit down and make some notes and you'd write down the highlights and you'd fill in the details and you'd, you'd, you'd maybe cross-reference and check some things and, you know, talk to your parents or your relatives and confirm that story and this, and you know, or talk to colleagues. You, you would do all of that the same way. There's a there's kind of a, a flow to it. So we, when we read Luke or any text of Scripture, it's very important that we back up and we say, what what does this have to do with that? Well, we begin with arguably the best known miracle of Jesus, the feeding of the. 5,000. This is the, uh, one of the few miracles, I think actually the only miracle that appears in each of the four Gospels. Uh, no other miracle can make that claim. And it impacted a crowd, and we say the feeding of the 5,000, the first 5,000 men. Um, this morning we gave out, you know, probably 250, 275 gift cards to, you know, Predominantly men, okay. but we know there was far more than 275 people here this morning. Okay, so obviously 5,000 just the men. Uh, we are very likely, conservatively estimating, a crowd of 12 to 5,000, uh, 12 to 15,000 people. We're filling up Entrust Bank Arena with the crowd that wants is there to hear and see one guy. If you've ever been to a concert in Interest Bank Arena, when it's full, it's pretty impressive. And it's, by, it's not, not by any means the largest stadium. Um, but, but, but just to give you some scope, that was the level of crowd that wanted to see Jesus. Now, 
this crowd didn't plan on seeing Jesus. There weren't posters up. It wasn't a grand tour. It was like, Jesus will be here. You know, it was what, G- what Luke says. When the crowds learned where he was, then they said, ah, and they were really chasing Jesus down. The other Gospels give us this picture as well, that Jesus is working and he's popular and he's, you know, he's kind of fighting this, trying to stay on mission and he's spending time with God and teaching the apostles and yet the crowd keeps coming, you know, and he, he loves the crowd, he knows the crowd, but he understands he's on a mission as well. So, big crowd, huge time, I mean, this is really, um, arguably, the high point of Jesus' ministry. When, when he was most beloved, most accepted, and most sought after. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how the expectation of the crowd, the larger that the crowd got, the more expectations were placed upon Jesus. Now, you, you understand, if he was tempted in every way just as we are, if a crowd's surrounding you and wants to hear what you say, and that crowd is growing massively, you're under more and more pressure to say the things that, that those people want to hear you say. And, and chief among those would be, what about Rome? When are you going to take over? How are we going to get these centurions out of here? When are you going to throw off the yoke of Caesar? It was a real concern. They, they didn't like living under that condition. And they saw this guy who, who seemed unstoppable. And that, yet that was not the mission that Jesus was on. When they said, we're going to make him king, they, they didn't understand what they were saying. And they didn't understand the type of king he was. Juxtapose those two ideas, okay? Jesus, Jesus himself was not after seeking or pleasing, seeking to please the crowd. He was seeking to, to please an audience of one. And so as the crowd sought to be filled, they were seeking maybe more than Jesus was going to offer them. So he says, uh, well, we've got this problem. The day begins to wear away. The 12 says, hey, Jesus, come on. It's time to let, send these guys out of here. They're not going to leave unless you tell them to leave. So send them out of here so they can go to get some lodging for the night and find a place to eat. And we've been here all day. And Jesus, I love this. Um, he says to them, wait a second. What? What were all these stories you were just telling me? What were you just doing? What have you been on all these journeys doing? Don't tell me to give them, send them away. You, give them something to eat. Now, whether Jesus, I, you know, was speaking in, you know, as Jesus was prone to do, you know, speaking of a physical food and speaking of the spiritual food, I don't know. But, but the point I'm driving at is Jesus is, is still on mission here. You, you do it. You give them something to eat. Because if you do it, you're going to learn a lesson and get a story that you'll never forget. And you're going to learn to trust God in a way that, you know, you're still learning how to do. So I I love that Jesus puts it back on them. And like, no, I don't think that's happening. We got 
Let me see. Let me count up the provisions here. What do we have? Uh, five loaves of bread. John tells us those are barley loaves, by the way. And two fish. And none of the gospel writers give us detail of the fish. So I presume this is pretty close um, in terms of taste and texture to what a Chick-fil-A sandwich tastes like. Not a big fish fan, but... Poultry isn't bad. So they, they fill this, this, this huge setting, and the disciples, the apostles say, we don't have enough unless we go and buy some. And one of the other gospel accounts said, nobody here makes possibly enough to go and, and buy what these people need to eat. And so Jesus, you know, he says, all right, if you're not going to do it, let me show you how to do that. Let me show you how to do what is impossible for you. Maybe a small lesson there about how much you have. You ever think about it's really not how much you have? Think a lot about how much we have. You probably think about right now if I said, well, well how much do you have? How much, how much money do you have in your savings account? How, how much do you have? How much money is in the old 401k or Roth? Uh, how much money is in the college account how much how much do you have how much resources do you have to do what you need to do churches by the way think also in this way and not unwisely good stewardship and all of that but sometimes sometimes we get a little hyper concerned about well we just it's not we don't have it i mean it's impossible to do unless we have it but see it's good for us to remember that, that these guys didn't have it either. They didn't have anywhere near enough to do what Jesus called them to do. And, and I love that, that Jesus called them to do something that was greater than what they had the ability to do. I'm really glad he doesn't do that today. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm glad he just expects us to you know, have it all together and all figured out and, and perfect plan and then go and do it. I'm, I'm really glad he didn't ever say anything about faith or trust. Anyway, I mean, that's all, you know, for them, not really for us. But, but maybe, just maybe, it's possible that Jesus will bring you to a point and ask you to do or call you to do something which you don't have the ability to do. You don't have enough. You don't have money, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough experience, you don't have enough resume, you don't have enough connection, you don't have enough influence, whatever the, the thing you don't have enough to do. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I want you to go and do it anyway. That's the Jesus you follow. The Jesus who says, yeah, but go ahead. Because if you'll put whatever you have into my hands... It'll be far more than enough. Far more than you could ever ask for or imagine. So he takes five loaves and two fish, and he looks up to heaven, and he says the blessing, and he breaks the loaves, and he distributes them to the disciples who set them out to the crowd. And what happens? They have far more than they could ever have dreamed of. And maybe, just maybe, when God brings you to a point, and God says, I need you to 
trust me. I need you to step out. I need you to go forward. I need you to, to do. I need you to obey. I need you to submit. I need you to... And you say, but God, I don't have enough. I don't have time. I don't have knowledge. I don't know enough people. It's just way too big. And God's like, yeah, exactly. It's exactly where I want you to be. Because then... You're going to have to trust me 100%. Because it's up to you. If it's all dependent upon you, then when you succeed, guess who gets the glory? But when you have nothing, when your hands are empty, when you don't see a way or a how, and you reach up to him and you say, this is all I have. And he says, just so happens in my hands, that's perfect. And he does beautiful things. In, little, in, in God's hands, little is much. May we not forget it. May we remember where our trust is. It's not in the bread and the fishes. It's in the one who holds the bread and the fishes. Of course, this miracle completely overwhelms the crowd, amazes the apostles and I think they still sort of miss the point. John records that um, after this, the crowd gets even more viral and everybody's trying to track him down. And then Jesus finally has to have come to Jesus moment, which Jesus is really good about having come to Jesus moments, if you didn't know. Um, John chapter 6, verse 26 and 27. Um, I know it's not in Luke, but just to give you an idea, Jesus addresses the crowd after they're trying to figure out why he won't do any more miracles. I mean, if you think about it, if you got a guy that we could just put a, a few, I mean, they just treat him like a holy vending machine. They are really getting on to this idea that they could overthrow Rome, and that was their vision. And Jesus says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you Ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for your cell phone. When you have your cell phone, put it in mute. And and during the sermon especially. Oh, that's sorry. That's in the message. I'm sorry. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him... God the Father will set his seal. Now, you missed it because of the phone. I'll just go back it up here and say, Jesus said, forget about the loaves. Forget about the fish. That stuff doesn't matter. I could do that stuff all day. That doesn't matter one hill of beans. What matters is the food that God has for you to do. The work that God has for you to do for His glory. So don't worry about what you're going to fill your stomachs with. Worry about what you're going to feed your souls on. If you're doing work that drains you, that doesn't matter, that seems sort of meaningless, if you've, you've lost your joy and your purpose and certainly your mission, maybe you're working for the wrong food. Maybe you're focusing on the loaves and the fishes instead of the one that you should be serving. So seek the right food as you're going about. Stay on mission. Now, Jesus was seeking people who could, 
who could have this kind of faith. Jesus is still seeking those people who can have those kind of faith. Now, uh, the, the, those, that kind of faith. The, the rumors, no doubt, were swirling. We see here, um, this is not in the text tonight, but right before the text in Luke chapter 9, verse 7, that Herod, the Tetrarch, is, is asking about Jesus. And who is he? And well, some say John, some say Elijah, some say another one of the prophets has come back from the dead. Herod's like, Herod says, but who is this about whom I hear such the crowd is filled with rumors. Jesus' whole life has been this, this swirl of enigmatic mystery of, of who he is and why he's able to do and what mission he's on. Is he John the Baptist come back? Is he Elijah? Is he, is he someone else for a purpose? Because anyone who speaks like this and does what Jesus does is here for a reason. And so he turns to Peter. Because not only is he going to send them out to do miracles and, you know, do the kind of feeding of the crowds and, and, and all of those kind of things that they have just seen, they're going to be on a different kind of mission. And so Jesus needs to make sure they get who he is and what he's about to do. Who is it they say that I am? Well, he repeats the list. John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, some say somebody else. And Jesus turns it right back to him. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is the same question he would ask each of us today. Who do you say that he is? When you strip it all away, and you, you, you pull away, you know, even just our routine, church and, and sermon and songs and communion and, and every part of your church life, even the things outside of the building. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you say it? Do you share it? Does any part of that message resonate in your core so deeply that it has changed who you are and how you live? Or are you just a crowd follower? Jesus, in this very intimate encounter that Luke records, with one who had followed Jesus so closely and and who would up to the point of the of the his trial this is how i envision it is he's been preaching to the crowds and then he then he gets closer and he's preaching to the 12 but this this is a who do you say that i am this is nose to nose eye to eye Because Jesus wants Peter to believe it here. He needs to know that Peter believes that. Because Peter's going to face some some heavy things, as would the other apostles. And if, if they didn't, beyond a shadow of a doubt, believe who Jesus was and know what his purpose was, 
the enemy was going to so throw, so throw so many things at them and threaten them with their livelihoods and their families, and, and they would lose practically everything. We have a book at home, Fox's Book of Martyrs, and Tyler was reading that story of Peter. And he said, Dad, I never, I, this is an amazing story about Peter being crucified upside down because he, he wasn't worthy of being crucified like his Lord and, and all of that. Fascinating, wonderful history to read. But Peter did that because he knew it in his core. He knew it beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the Christ of God, the Son of the living Creator, come down to us, for us, to save us and redeem us. And Peter, from this point forward, lived his whole life based on that premise. You want to talk about all in? Peter was all in. And what I love about that is not that Peter didn't make mistakes. He was so all in Sometimes he stumbled over his own self. But he didn't give up. And he didn't stop believing who Jesus was. And this is the same faith that he seeks in us. The crowd, by the way, is not a new new thing. And in the book of Luke, Luke mentions the crowd specifically 23 times by my count. And Jesus understands, as we've talked about before, that the crowd is very fickle. And some days they love you, and some days they hate you, and it's the same with Jesus. In fact, Luke chapter 23, if you care to turn there, Luke chapter 23, verse 20 and following, we're now in front of Pilate. And Luke records... Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting. They were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So the problem with following the crowd is the crowd can turn on you just like that. And especially the more successful you become. We've watched this with athletes and celebrities and, you know, um, I'll just think of I'll just think of uh, a, a one illustration from the sports world, Tiger Woods. Man, when Tiger was on a roll and he was winning, it was just this unbelievable athlete. And then you get the story with his dad and all of that. I mean, just crowds. I mean, followed him all around the tournament. I mean, just this whole swarm of people that wanted to be like Tiger. Golf became so popular because, you know, it was just this massive movement. It was all from the crowd. And then then the mighty fell, and Tiger messed up in some big ways. And the crowd, just as supportive as they had been, overwhelmingly turned against this guy that they didn't know, but they, they realized that he was just like them. And it began to, everybody began to take their pound of flesh. And then, then Tiger, you don't hear from him for a while. And then he comes back and he's doing this amazing. Here's the crowd again. 
And that's got to be hard, hard pressure to be under. Jesus, Jesus, probably to a much greater degree, had the same kind of pressure. The crowd loved him, they hated him. They would ultimately call for his destruction. You can't follow the crowd. You can't, you can't stay subservient to the crowd. You've you got to seek the Christ. So, this all leads us to the ultimate calling of Jesus, uh, which is what he gets to as we finish out our text tonight. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 27. I tell you, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever who, who would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. <clears throat> you see, the crowd followed Jesus when it, there was something in it for them, when there was food to be had, when there were miracles to be seen, when there were, there were amazing things happening, and everybody loved Jesus. The crowd wanted to follow him. And even Peter would be willing to profess Christ, and I believe he was sincere, but, but there wasn't a cost to Peter in that moment. It was just Jesus asking, tell me, what do you believe? But Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, at some point it's going to mean a death. A death of yourself. That's what the cross meant. And we, we look at it as a religious symbol and, and for all of the, the message of the gospel and and. and there's some degree of goodness in that. But for them, a cross, a Roman cross, an ugly, blood-stained Roman cross that smelled like death and struck fear into the hearts of everyone who saw it and who heard the screams of those who were nailed upon it and who watched them suffocate to death. Yeah, it was a horrible thing. Not something that, that they wanted to associate with. And Jesus said, yeah... If you're ready to follow me, it means, it means doing that every single day. Every day. Every day when you follow Jesus, there's going to be some part of you that wants to do something. And it's sinful. And, and when you tell yourself no, whatever that is for you, there's a part of you that's going to be mad. There's part of you that's going to be unfulfilled. There's going to be a part of you that doesn't, that, that, that is angry, really. And Jesus says, kill it. Kill it. Nail it to the cross. And you think, after one day of, of, of doing the right thing and, and, and killing it, that it would get easier and better, but it doesn't, it doesn't. You still got to come back every day and at some point have the same decision to put, you, put, put that which you love the most, yourself, on the cross. Look what 
Jesus will say throughout the book of Luke. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Cannot. Not might not, but cannot. The life of a disciple is one of a dead man or dead woman walking. One who is continually willing to give up and kill what they want and any hope of what they want in exchange for what God wants. Luke chapter 17, verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 33. Whoever seeks to preserve his life. Is there two sermons going on? What's happening? You guys are killing me. You're so I wouldn't a Sunday morning crowd I would expect, but Sunday night. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. This is the core to the kingdom is the denial of self. The nailing of what you want to that old rugged cross. Not to pay for your sins, by the way. That your sacrifice couldn't do anything for your sins. Only Jesus' sacrifice could do that. But, but as the one who went to the cross, he has the right to call you to the cross in the same way. The cost is high, but it is well worth the cost. And that's why anyone chooses to follow Jesus. Not because self-denial is easy. Not because the cross is easy. But because the result, the destination, the transformation is so, so very worth it. Paul said it this way. Not in Luke, but in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He would say later, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing greatness, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sin and for your sin. And what he asks for us to accept that gift requires us to go to the cross. To say, I can't. I don't have enough. I'm unable. Here's my life, small though it is. And like the loaves and the fishes... He takes your incomplete, imperfect, sin-filled life and he does something amazing with it. You're ready to follow that kind of Lord and if you haven't already done so,
And I invite you to come this morning, this evening. And if you uh, have begun that journey but are struggling in it, feel that you are tempted or just in some way not growing as you should be, we'll be happy to pray with you as a church, pray for you as a church, and encourage you in whatever way we can. If you have a need tonight, spiritual or otherwise, please meet me down front as together we sing this song.